my God. When I am awesome wonder, consider all the worlds thy hands have made. I see the stars. I see the stars. sings my soul, my Savior God to Thee, how great Thou art, how great Thou art. When through the world and forest glades I
You got it? Okay. All right. Um, you're going to be on the church church page, of, I'm sorry, church Bibles, page 1345. Page 1345 is going to be Ephesians 4, so we're going to begin today in our reading. Uh, real quick, I want to remind you that uh, we've been praying for Lee Martin for several months. He went to be with the Lord this past week. And so we're continuing to remember the Martin family, and there will be a funeral here for him at the church this Wednesday at 10 a.m. here in our, in our worship center here. So keep that in mind and continue to pray for the Martin family, if you will. Um, also, Joe, Susan, Adam, uh, and all are traveling to California to see Martin Placencia, who we've also been praying for, and to go see his parents, and uh, they've got a long journey on their hands, so we'll pray the Lord take them over there and that they'll find Martin. Um, whatever God's doing, maybe Martin will get to, he'll get to visit with Martin. And also, I just, uh, talking to Bob earlier, I just feel like we need to continue to, to leave Matt Nicole on our prayer list. Um, just pray that God will continue uh, to work and to heal uh, Nicole uh, in these places, that uh, those illnesses that she, she has. So anyway, we'll keep her on the prayer list. So we're going to be today in uh, Ephesians 4, verses 1 through 6. It's, of course, in uh, Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness and long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body, one Spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we bless you as a praise for your reign on our land, Lord Jesus. What an amazing thing, how you can change the world around us with your blessing of reign. We thank you for that, Lord. We've been wanting and needing, and Lord, you knew all along, we knew you had the day marked that you would begin uh, to allow the clouds to bring us rain. So we bless you. We pray, God, if there's um, if there's something to be learned in all that, Lord, I pray you would help us to know, Lord Jesus, uh, what you would have us to learn through that period of drought and now to see your blessing come to fruition. Uh, we, Lord, we continue to pray for the Martin family, and uh, we pray, God, that you would give them strength and peace that only can come from you and your Holy Spirit, Lord Jesus. Uh, we pray that you would give them um, assurance that Lee had made things right with you and that he is in fellowship with you in glory now as we uh, continue to pray. We pray for the ones that remain. Lee is in glory. We pray for family who is saying goodbye. We pray for strength as they get through this difficult time of saying farewell uh, to Lee. We pray for the Placencia family, Lord, as they travel to see family. I pray, God, for their journey, for their vehicle. Uh, in every way, I pray you would go before them and prepare ways that your name could be lifted up in their family as they get there. And, uh, Lord, just bless their trip and time with their family. And we do pray for Nicole. We pray, God, that you continue uh, to work in her life. And, Lord, as we do, pray that for each of us. Lord, we don't ever want to be done being transformed into more of who you are. We bless you. We thank you for this day. 
Lord Jesus, and we thank you for the place we have to come to worship. And uh, as we minister as a church to the Martin family this week, I pray that all things be done to lift your name high, uh, not only in this family, but in the world around us as we go through this week. We bless you. We thank you for this day. And I pray, God, that your spirit would be welcome here and would reign and rule in our hearts today. In your holy name we pray. Amen.
This is my worship. This is my offering. In every moment, I withhold nothing. I'm learning to trust you, even when I can't see it. And even in suffering, I have to believe it. If you say it's wrong, then I'll say no. If you say release, I'm letting go. If you're in it with me, I'll begin. And when you say to jump, I'm diving in. If you say be still, then I will wait. If you say to trust, I will obey. like a burden but once I could grasp it you took me further further than I was asking and simply to see you it's worth it all my life is an altar let your fire fall
Good morning. Well, ooh, I loved every one of those songs today. Not just because I love those songs, but I loved them because they were talking about everything that we're going to talk about. They were just declaring God's glory in the words that he has for us today. And I was so excited. I could hardly stand back there and be still. I just could feel him moving in this place and his power and his authority in each song. And um, I'm excited. Today is Pentecost. I don't know how many of you knew that today is Pentecost, but it's uh, Shavuot. As the Hebrew understanding, Pentecost would be the Greek word, and we're going to talk a little bit about those things and what Pentecost means to us as believers. If there's anything we should be celebrating, it is far more important than Memorial Day weekend. <laughs> it is the power of the Spirit poured out on God's people. 
And what does that even mean? That's what we're going to look at today to see what that means and how it affects us. And I'm so sorry that it has been stolen. The enemy has stolen this understanding and the church has lost the opportunity to come and celebrate this place of what God is doing. So let's start off. I have lots of notes. And so did some of y'all pack a lunch? Because <laughs> I, could, I think we could stay all day. I'm just that excited about this message. But I have lots of different places, so we may be bouncing around a lot. But let's start off. Let's start off in Leviticus 23, and it's going to be on page 139. One thirty-nine, Leviticus 23. And as you remember, Leviticus 23 is all about God's feast. So we're going to... Um, Piece all of this together. If you take notes, it's a great day to take notes to kind of see all this unfold. And there's going to be lots and lots of, of, of nuggets here that will come together, I think, for us. So one of the things I want us, we always talk about this, but I think it is so important. We can't lose sight of what is said in Leviticus 23, verse 1. And it says, And the Lord spoke to Moses, Speak to the children of Israel, and say to them, The feast of the Lord, which you shall proclaim to be holy convocations, these are my feast. These are my feast. It, it is so challenging for most believers to understand why we should be celebrating the feast. Because most people believe these are the Jewish feast. These are not the Jewish feast. These were given to the Jewish people. These were actually given to the children of Israel. But I thought about it a few years ago. And it's as if God said, Deb, I want you to go in and teach this congregation about my feast. It doesn't mean that these feasts are only for this congregation. Do you understand that? It means that he wants you to know this, but he wants others to know this as well. And so that's what's going on, is Paul is actually teaching these things that the Lord says to the children of Israel, but not just for the children of Israel. In fact, Paul says these things were given as an example to us. And so the Lord is saying that you should come the feast of the Lord, which you shall proclaim to be a holy convocation, an assembly. That's what we're doing today is we're meeting together on a feast day to celebrate with God his purpose and plan that is laid out in his feast. So these are his feast, and we are certainly called to keep them. So let's jump down to verse 15. The first part talks about, you know, Passover, unleavened bread, 
and first fruits. But starting in verse 15, it says, And you shall count for yourselves from the day of the Sabbath, from the day which you brought the sheaf of the wave offering, seven Sabbaths to be completed. Count 50 days to the day. I'm sorry, count 50 days to the day after the seventh Sabbath. Then you shall offer a new grain offering to the Lord. You shall bring from your dwelling two wave loaves of two tenths of ephah, and they shall be a fine flour. They shall be baked with leaven. They are the first fruits to the Lord. And you shall offer the bread seven lambs, of the first year without blemish, one young bull and two rams, and they shall be as burnt offerings to the Lord with the grain offering and their drink offering and an offering made by fire for a sweet aroma, aroma to the Lord. Then you shall sacrifice one kid of goats as a sin offering and two male lambs for the first year as a sacrifice off, peace offering. And the priest shall weigh them with the bread of the first fruits with a wave offering before the Lord with the two lambs. They shall be holy to the Lord for the priest, and you shall proclaim on the same day that it is a holy convocation to you. You shall do no customary work on it. It shall be a statute forever in all your dwellings, in all your dwellings throughout your generations. Forever, this is supposed to be a forever feast. Now, sometimes people get bogged down in all of the offerings, so it says come and bring these offerings, and we don't bring those kind of offerings uh, anymore because there's not a temple. So you can't bring a grain offering, and you can't bring a drink offering, and the, and Jesus was our sin offering, and so he has fulfilled that. And um, he's also the burnt offering. So when it talks about bringing a lamb, Jesus is always the lamb. And, uh, but some of the other offerings, uh, I believe, will one day happen again when the temple is restored on Mount Zion and Jesus reigns. I think we will go up to the temple and uh, to the tabernacle. And we will tabernacle with the Lord there. But we taught on some of these offerings uh, a, a while back, many several years ago. So we're not going to get bogged down in those today. I want us to talk about a couple of other things. But a, a couple of things I want to point out to you. That it says that this day, it's, it, the way you get to this day is you start with the day it says that the sheaf of the wave offering, that you brought the sheaf of the wave offering. So if you remember, we celebrated Passover. We uh, walked through unleavened bread and honored uh, unleavened bread. And then we came to first fruits. And that's the day Jesus was raised, was on first fruits. He's our first fruits. And Bill always graciously brings us uh, some of his harvest and we wave it before the Lord as the priest did. Hold on just a moment. <coughs> Excuse me. I think I got too excited. And uh, okay, so from that day, 
that is the day it's talking about. From that day, from the day of first fruits, Jesus was raised. It says, then you count seven Sabbaths or 50 days, and then the day after the Sabbath. So he's basically saying you count seven Sabbaths, and then the day after that is going to be Pentecost, and it will be 50 days. So Pentecost is always going to be on a Sunday, on the first day of the week. It's going to always be there because he has counted seven Sabbaths and then the day after. Now, a couple of things, if you're writing things down that you're going to want to remember is this 50 days is significant. 50 is an enhanced understanding of five. So you take the five, and what five means in God's numerical understanding is grace. So this 50 is an enlargement of understanding of his grace. So I want you to think about that as we celebrate today, that this is an enlarging place of his grace that we're going to see. But it also means gift. And so in this place, you can also see that it is a gift. Now, another place I want you to look at is in verse 17. It says that you're going to bring two loaves and to wave them before the Lord. So two loaves. These are uh, representing two loaves today. And so the priest would come at Shavuot, or Pentecost, and they would wave the loaves that have been made before the Lord as the first fruit offering. And I want you to hang on to these two loaves because God's going to help us to see what they represent. I think they represent several different things, so we'll talk about that throughout the message today. But I want you to remember the two loaves. Two, two is important because what does two mean in God's numbers? Witnesses. Two means witnesses. So these loaves are going to be witnessing something, and we want to watch for that today as we continue on. All right, so this is a place that was given that Moses received and was given to the children of Israel 50 days after they came out of Egypt and crossed over. What I want you to remember is that the children of Egypt, I'm sorry, the children of Israel came out of Egypt on Passover and then they crossed over the Red Sea to the other side on first fruits. You see, God is so detailed. He wants us to grab hold of these things. So they were brought out on Passover, and then they're traveling, and then they cross over to the other side on first fruits. 
And then 50 days from that, they would celebrate Shavuot. So let's go back and turn back to, or let's turn to John 20. It's on page 1250. And let's see how this unfolds 1,500 years later. So the children of Israel have been rehearsing and have been celebrating and have been keeping these feasts for 1,500 years. Jesus said, I didn't come to abolish the law or the Psalms or the prophets. I came to fill it up. And so In today's message, you're going to see how he filled up this place. And so he died on Passover. He was buried on unleavened bread. And he was raised on the day they crossed over on first fruits. Then 50 days after is where we're going to talk about today on Pentecost. So remember some of these places. So Jesus, uh, we're in John 20, verse 22. Jesus has been uh, crucified in the grave and raised, okay? So this is on the evening of first fruits is where we're going to read in verse 22. And, um, oh, I love this little place. You'll remember this place. The uh, disciples are all gathered together, and they're, they've got the doors all shut, and they're really nervous about what's going on. Jesus has been crucified. They don't know that he is, uh, you know, how, what things are going to happen to them. They have understood that Ma- uh, Mary has gone to the tomb. She has seen that he's risen. But everybody's just a little nervous about how things are. So they are in this upper room or in this room and all the doors are shut and then Jesus just appears in the room. I love that it's one of my favorite stories in the Bible because if we were all just sitting right here and Jesus just walked through that corner, all of us would be a little unnerved, right? I mean, we would be wow, whoa. And so I think I think how they must have been. They were already a little edgy and this happens and I love it. Jesus says Jesus comes in in verse 21 and he says, peace to you, as the Father has sent me, I also send you. He's just going, now listen, peace, I've got a lot of messages to tell you about, and the Father has sent me, and I'm going to send you out. I just love that place, and then he says in verse 22, and when he had said this, he breathed on them. He breathed on them, and he said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. Well, the understanding of the Holy Spirit is what what they understood comes from their understanding of the Old Testament. And we've talked about this for years, is that what we read in the New Testament and what our understanding is today in in these terms has to be defined by the Old Testament. So today we're going to look at how this was defined. But for now, 
I want you to understand this word is ruach in the, um, am I saying that correctly, ruach? And uh, it's kind of a ruach, really. And, and what I love about that is when I kind of understood about this, I can see it means wind. So I want you to say that ruach. And you can just ruach. You can feel the breath, the wind coming out. And so he is speaking to them, and he is saying, receive this breath, this wind of the God, this holy wind, this holy breath. And Jesus is breathing his breath, the Holy Spirit, into them. I want you to know that I believe with all my heart that this is salvation right here. When you come to a place of when you make Jesus Lord of your life, I believe that he breathes into you everlasting life. But it says receive. Receive it. Receive it. I want you to hold on to that. So I believe that what we're seeing here is the disciples at this point, they had been walking with Jesus. They had learned about Jesus. They had come to know that he was, in fact, who he said he was. He was the Messiah. They had seen him do signs and wonders, and they had seen him un, uh, open their understanding to the Old Testament, but they had seen him die. And they've now seen him raised. He is the Messiah. He has become real to them. It's exactly what has to happen to us when we are saved. Jesus has to become real. So at this point, he's real. And Jesus says, now, receive the Holy Spirit. Now turn with me a couple of pages or one page over to Acts, it's on page 1252, to Acts 1. And let's start in verse 4. And it says, And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it's not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority, but you shall receive power from the Holy Spirit when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So Jesus is with them. He's breathing on them. And then he tells them, and you could find this in uh, Luke 24, I believe. I'm not sure exactly where this verse is, but it's in Luke 24 somewhere. And uh, he tells them, he says, go and wait into, in Jerusalem until you receive the promise of the Father. The Holy Spirit. He says, wait until you receive the Holy Spirit. They're going, wait, Jesus, you, we, 
already got that just a minute ago, you know? So now why are you telling us to go and wait? It, it, it's confusing to us, but I don't think it was confusing exactly to them. I don't think they knew how it was going to unfold, but I think they had some ideas beyond where we do today. So Jesus says you will need to go and wait in Jerusalem for the promise of the Father. The first question we might have is, what is the promise of the Father? So I want you to put your marker here. We're going to come back to this in just a minute. And I want to go to Ezekiel, Ezekiel 36, it's on page 1000. Ezekiel 36, and we're going to begin in verse 25. All right, while you're there, just hold that with your... Um, I want to show you something else. In Levit and you don't have to turn there. I'll just read this to you, but it's in Leviticus 26.12. And um, in Leviticus 26.12, um, so back when the law was given to Moses, God made a statement in this place. And on, in Leviticus 26.12, he said, I want you to listen. This is his promise, the promise of the Father. Maybe you want to look at that. It's on page 144. I know. I love for you to see what God is showing us. So on page 144, Jesus is talking 1,500 years back about what the promise of the Father is. But they knew these things. We are sometimes lost, but they knew. And so the promise of the Father says, I will walk among you and be your God, and you shall be my people. Okay? He's been walking with them for 1,500 years. He's been walking among them, and he has been their God, and they've been his people. Now, they've been in and out of that relationship, but... By and large, we see God walking with the children of Israel, right? So they knew that, but they also knew this place in Ezekiel. So Ezekiel on page 1000, it's Ezekiel 36 starting in 25. Remember this. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean. And I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the spirit of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statues and you will keep my judgments and do them. So what is what they understand about the Holy Spirit, what they understand about the promise of the Father comes from this understanding, I believe, right here. That, that God says, I am going to cleanse you from all your filthiness. You have been in and out of sin all our journey. 
I'm going to cleanse you from all your filthiness and all your idols. I'm going to cleanse you, and I'm going to put in you a new spirit, a new heart for one reason. And it tells you, I'm going to put in verse 27, it says, I'm going to put my spirit within you and cause you. So when he puts his spirit in you, this gives you the ability. It's really better ability rather than cause. But I'm going to give you the ability to walk in my statutes and keep my judgments and do them. All the things you've been failing to be able to do, I'm going to cause this to happen. Now, I don't think they understood the fullness of how that would be, but that was in their minds. This is the promise of the Father. Now, turn back to your marker, and we will remember in um, Acts 1 here that they have gone, and they're sitting here, and they're waiting for the promise of the Father because in verse 8 he says that you shall receive power when the Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses. So what he is saying to them, he's saying, you've received the Holy Spirit, you have. But you haven't understood what is happening with that Holy Spirit. What the Holy Spirit is doing inside of you, you haven't understood all of it yet. And he says, so when you get to Jerusalem, you're going to wait and the power is going to hit you. I believe with all my heart that we see today, and I hope this will change your life today, but we see a, a, a large group of believers, of Christians, that are faithfully loving Jesus and walk in no power. Does anyone understand that? Yes. So Jesus sends them, and they go, and now let's read in, um, in, in, across the page here. And, well, in verse 13, it says that they're in an upper room, and they go and they stay there, and they're in one accord. And then verse 15 tells us that there were 120 people in that room, okay? And they were there, and, and then it says... Um, by the way, right there it says in verse 14, it says they continued in one accord in prayer and supplication. So important. Because what, they, what you find is that 120 of them are sitting in a room and they are begging God for the Holy Spirit to come and bring them power. Do we live in that kind of place today? Do we beg God that he would work in us each day, that his power would come upon us? That we would find ourselves not just casually walking around and saying, well, Lord, you know, I'd love to have your power today. I'm not talking about that place. I'm talking about being in this place where you're bowed before him and your heart is crying out and you say, Lord, I want to be your witness I need your power because I can't witness without your power. So then we see chapter 2, verse 1, and it says, 
When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. They were all in agreement. They all wanted this same place. And suddenly there came the sound from heaven as a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Ruach. Ruach. The rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as a fire, and one sat upon each one. And, and then they see, they look over, and they see each other, and there's fire. There's fire. How can that be? But how can the rushing wind be? And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were, dwell and there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused because everyone heard them speak in their own language. So now they're speaking in languages they don't even know how to speak. So Raul, if I come in one day and I am speaking fluid Spanish, you're going to say the Holy Spirit has gotten a hold of that girl and has given her this language. Yes. That's how it would be. And they, would, they marveled that this was happening this way. Now I want you to look on down. Let me see. Um, Verse 12, it says, So they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one, one another, Whatever could this mean? Others mocking said, They are full of new wine. They are full of new wine. You can't put the old wine in the new wineskin. It will burst. But the new wine, they're full of the new wine. And, but Peter, standing up with eleven, raised his voice and said to them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you, and heed my word. For these are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. He says, You think they're drunk on new wine. They do have new wine, but it's not what you're thinking. It's the Holy Spirit has been poured into them, and they are immersed in the Holy Spirit. They are drunk on Jesus. Now, it's interesting to me because all the people standing around thought they were intoxicated, even though it was 9 o'clock in the morning. So they were acting a little different. Does the Holy Spirit ever grab hold of you and you just want to sing and dance or jump around? That's where I was this morning. I thought, man, I just want to run down here. I want to be closer to wherever you are, Lord. I know your presence is everywhere, but I want you to see my heart that I want to come forward to you. I wanted to dance. I'm just not very good at that. But in my bedroom, I love to dance before the Lord. It's a wonderful place. 
And I love the Jewish people because they do dance and they do know how to celebrate much better than we do. And we could take a lesson from that in how to dance before the Lord. So I want to share with you just a couple of places from the Old Testament. But before we go there, I want to go back to John. Um, no, I want to tell you one other thing. I'm sorry. So many things. So many things. They're in this upper room. They're waiting on this place for Jesus. And what I don't want you to forget, because this is going to be so important today, is what is on their mind is what the promise of the Father looks like. But the other thing is uh, that's on their mind is why they're there. They're celebrating Shavuot, Pentecost. They're celebrating it because it's in the law. And they're supposed to be coming and celebrating it. And what they're celebrating about Shavuot is that the law was given to Moses on this day. So the law was given 1,500 years before Pentecost. Moses comes, goes up on the mountain, do you remember? And we're going to, I think we can look at that. Let's just look at that. It's on uh, uh, Exodus 19, verse 82. Because if all of this comes together in your mind, you are just going to be blown away. It will change your life if you see it all. It will change your life. So 1,500 years later, they are celebrating because Moses brought the law down that they are supposed to be keeping Shavuot. Okay, so some of the things I just want to point out on page 82 in uh, Exodus 19, let's look at verse 3. It says, and Moses went up to God. So Moses has gone up to the mountain and the Lord called to him from the mountain saying, thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and to the children of Israel, you have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. You've seen miracles. I know you've seen him before. I know you have. And they had too. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be a special treasure to me before all people from all the earth, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which you shall speak to the children of Israel. So he's saying, you tell them these things. And then if you go on down in verse 9, he says, And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I come to you in the thick cloud, that the people may hear when I speak with you and believe you forever. And so he tells him, he says, I'm going to come and I'm going to talk to you in this thick cloud. And then verse 10, he says, you go tell them that they've got to be washed. They've got to be consecrated. They've even got to wash their clothes. They have got to be cleansed to come before me. And so they go and 
And then on the third day, they're going to come up to the mountain. And it says in verse 13, not a hand shall touch him, but he shall surely be stoned or shot with an arrow. Whether a man or beast, he shall not live. When the trumpet sounds long, they shall come up near the mountain. So he's saying, when you're ready, don't touch anything. Don't touch anything. Be cleansed. And when you hear the trumpet sound, go up the mountain. And then... um, It says, verse 14, and Moses went down from the mountain to the people and sanctified the people and they washed their clothes. And he said to the people, be ready for the third day. Do not come near your wives. He said, listen, don't even be doing these things right now. You have got to have this. You're coming for your first meeting with God. Then it came to pass on the third day in the morning that there was thunderings and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and the sound of the trumpet was very loud so that all the people who were in the camp Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet with God and they stood at the foot of the mountain and the Mount Sinai was completely in smoke because the Lord descended upon it in fire wow you see they remember all these things You remember, they're talking to their neighbor and they're saying, you remember 1,500 years ago when the law was given at this very same day and this very same time and Moses went up and met with God and then he came down and he said, y'all are going to meet with God and there's going to be black smoke and there's going to be a shaking and there's going to be fire and there's going to be stuff happening thunderings they remembered all this and now they're seeing signs and wonders again happening this is what they're thinking about this is what's going on this is what is in their understanding is that 1500 years ago God on a mountain came down to meet with his people and talked with his people Pentecost, the promise of the Father, is God not only meets with his people, he indwells in his people. And it's the promise that not, as we're going to see in the Old Testament, not just with individuals as God came down and used those individuals and his spirit was on those individuals, but rather all people are now in a place where that's why it says 120 people. It's a picture of everyone who wants desperately to receive the power of the Holy Spirit can meet with God in this place, that he indwells in you, and you can walk in power and authority for his purpose to be his witness. I want to show you something on John Look on page 1224. Jesus meets with a Samaritan woman at the well. And we won't read all of it, but Jesus, you know, is asking for a drink of water. And 
she's hesitant to understand how she, a Samaritan woman, could give him a drink. And verse 10 says, and Jesus answered her, and he says, if you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would, and he would have given you living water. He's saying, this gift, if you had known, it's this gift. It's this gift. And it's living water. And then he comes on and he helps her to understand. Uh, in verse 13, he says, Whoever drinks of this water will never thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never, th oh, I'm sorry, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst but the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life the Holy Spirit the Holy Spirit now I want you to drop down um, to verse 21 and Jesus says to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither, uh, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. He's saying, listen, you know, I know the Jewish people, they worship over here in Jerusalem. And then you're a Samaritan, you worship on this mountain over here. And he said, it's not going to be that way. The hour's coming when it won't matter where you are you will be able to worship. And he tells us that in verse 22. You're, you worship what you do not know. You know what we, what we worship for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming and now is when the true worshiper will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. So I'm here to tell you that I believe that the, the priesthood, as they were waving the loaves before the Father 1,500 years ago, were helping to under, uh, unfold what Pentecost would help us to see today. And that is that they have to, worshipers, true believers, have to come worshiping in spirit and in truth. In truth of God's commandments. Why was the Holy Spirit given? To walk out his statutes and his judgments and his laws and his way. To walk out his truth. Psalms 119 says, truth, my truth is the law. So truth, walking out spirit and truth. So the, tr the truth was given at Mount Sinai. 1,500 years later, the Holy Spirit is given at Pentecost in power and authority. In spirit and truth, I want to take you quickly through a couple of Old Testament understandings about the Spirit because I think it can give us what they believed and what we need to believe today that sometimes has been stolen. And uh, so we're going to run through these pretty fast. But I want you to remember 
that even in the very beginning, on page one of your Bible, page one, Genesis one, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void. Darkness was on the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. The Spirit of God was there. So the Spirit of God, sometimes we get this so mixed up in our heads. We feel like the Spirit of God is an emotion, is a feeling. The Spirit of God is a person. So when God breathed on the disciples, the Holy Spirit came into them. Now they come to Acts and are waiting on the promise of the Father. And what I want to say is to activate that Holy Spirit into action of power and authority to follow in God's ways. Receive it. But he didn't breathe into them an emotion of feelings. No, he breathed into them himself. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are all three people with different functions, but all one God. Turn with me to Numbers 11. It's on page 165. 165, Numbers 11:11. So Moses has been leading the children of Israel out of captivity, and now they're in the wilderness, okay? And so picking up in verse 11, it says, So Moses said to the Lord, Why have you afflicted your servant? And why have I not found favor in your sight, that you have laid the burden of all these people on me? He is chewing out the Lord, which I don't know. Has any of you ever done that? I've actually done that. I'm not proud of it it wasn't how you're supposed to but I was in a very frustrated place and that's exactly what I did I chewed out the Lord but I later came in repentance and said Lord I, I'm sorry I did this but Moses is frustrated with God because God has sent him to lead these people out and all they're doing is complaining and grumbling and not getting along it is not going well the journey is not like he had thought so he's saying why have you afflicted me with these people and I'm having to carry their burdens and then verse 12 said did I did I conceive all these people he said I didn't birth all these people did I beg them I'm sorry, did I beget them that you should say to me, carry them in your bosom as a guardian carries her nursing child to the land which he swore to their fathers? 
Where am I to get meat to give all these people? For they weep over for they weep all over me, saying, Give us meat that we may eat. So they're just grumbling up a storm. 14 says, I am not able to bear all these people alone because the burden is too heavy for me. If you treat me like this, please kill me here and now if I have found favor in your sight, and do not let me see my wretchedness. So the Lord said to Moses, so he grumbles to, to God, and he says, well, just kill me. This is the worst it can be. And uh, so he's saying all this, and God answered him. So the Lord said to Moses, gather me 70 men of elders of Israel, whom you know to be elders of the people and officers over them. Bring them to the tabernacle of meetings that they may stand there with you. Then I will come down and talk with you there, and I will take of the spirit that is upon you and will put the same upon them, and they shall bear the burden of the people with you that you may not bear it yourself alone. Then you shall say to the people, Consecrate yourself tomorrow, and we shall eat meat, for you have all wept in the hearing of the Lord. So the Lord is saying, Listen, I hear your problem. So get me 70 men, gather them up, bring them there with you. And the same spirit that has anointed you to do what I needed you to do, to lead out these children and to continue leading them, I'm going to give you some more people to help you carry the burden. And I'm going to put the same spirit upon them to do the work I need them to do. So right here in the Old Testament, we see the Holy Spirit is working out God's purpose. Do you see that? And uh, let's go down to verse 25. It says, And the Lord came down in a cloud and spoke to him and took of the Spirit that was upon him and placed upon the 70 elders, and it happened when the Spirit rested upon them, they prophesied, although they never did again so. Um, and, and then, so they do, go, they do go down and prophesy. Let me see where that... Um, so going on, it says, but two men had remained in the camp, and the name of them was Eldad, and the name of the other one was Medad, and the Spirit rested upon them, and they were among those listed, but who had gone out to the tabernacle, yet they prophesied in the camp. So they didn't even go out, and yet they started prophesying by the Spirit. And the young man ran and told Moses, he said, this is all happening. And in verse 29, Moses says, then Moses said to him, are you uh, zealous for my sake? Oh, that all the Lord's people were prophets and that the Lord would put his spirit upon them. And um, he, he is saying, oh, my goodness, this is awesome. So the first thing that we see is that the spirit is given to help release us from burdens. The Holy Spirit, one of its purposes is to release your burden, and to keep you from working out things in your own manner, in your own ways, that you can have the Holy Spirit guiding you and directing you and doing what is right rather than 
working in your own in your own way. So let's look now on. Um, let's go to Judges on page two seventy eight. Judges, um, Judges 3. And uh, Judges is a lot, isn't it? But let's start, I want to start in verse 9 right here. It says, when the children of Israel cried out to the Lord, uh, so the children of Israel have been um, disobedient, and the Lord has allowed them to be taken over. And then in verse 9, it says, when the children of Israel cried out to the Lord, the Lord raised up a deliverer for the children of Israel, who delivered them, uh, Othniel and the, the son of Kenaz, Jacob's younger brother, the Spirit of the Lord came upon him, and he judged Israel. Really, that word judged right there is uh, he pleaded their case. And he went out to war, and the Lord delivered uh, into his hands, and his, he prevailed over their enemy. So the Spirit of the Lord came upon this man, and he led them out of their enemy. And so the Spirit of the Lord, one of the things the Spirit of the Holy Spirit does is it helps us to overcome the enemy. It helps you to overcome the enemy. Would this be something we would want to have? In this day and time, it works the same way. God wants you to be fighting in the battle, but he doesn't want you to do it by yourself. He wants to bring in some more with his spirit on it and give you a power and authority to overcome the enemy. All right, I want you to look in 1 Samuel on page 321. First Samuel three twenty one, starting uh, uh, th- on page three twenty, starting in uh, chapter ten, verse one, says, "Then Samuel took a flask of oil and poured it on his head and kissed him and said, it, is it not because the Lord has anointed you commander over his inheritance?' So what's going on right here is Samuel." has come, and he's pouring this oil and kissing Saul, who's going to become King Saul, and anointing him to be king over God's people. Now, I want us to jump over to, or jump down to verse 5. It says, After you shall come to the hill of God where the Philistine garrison is, and it will happen when you have come there to the city, that you will meet a group of prophets coming down from the high place with a stringed instrument, a tambourine, a flute, 
and a harp before them, and they will be prophesying. And when the Spirit of the Lord will come upon you, and you will prophesy with them and be turned into another man. So what he is saying is that when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you're going to see these people that are prophesying. And what they're doing is they're rejoicing and dancing and, and um, celebrating who God is in their life. In fact, this word prophesying is a great understanding for us to grab hold of. Because prophesying right here actually means uh, in an ecstatic uh, state of mind, in a, in a just it's so excitable and led by the Spirit, to speak as God directs, to let lead, be led by the Spirit, but to be over uh, excited for what God is doing inside of you, just ecstatic, that they were dancing and coming and not Sometimes we think, you know, as a Christian, we just kind of be re real reserved and real quiet. That is not what this means. That means they were dancing and, and excited about the things that they knew God's spirit was with them and they were being led to um, do whatever he was doing. And then it says in verse 6, we read, And the spirit of the Lord will come down upon Saul, and he will be, and, he, and it says, and you will prophesy with them. You'll be dancing and singing, and you'll know the things of the Lord. You'll give utterance to his words. You'll know what, you're, uh, what direction you're supposed to be doing because the Spirit is on him. But what I want you to see here, it says, and he will be turned into another man. He will become a new creation. When the Holy Spirit comes in you, in power, it changes you into a new creation. Paul talks about this in Romans. We'll be studying it in a few weeks. But it makes you someone you're not. And that's what happened in the Old Testament as well. Um, let's read on. And, and let it be when these signs come, signs come upon you that you do as the occasion demands for God is with you. So he's saying you will do, it will cause you to do whatever God is wanting you to do because God is with you. You'll know it. And you shall go down before me to Gilgal and surely I will come down to you to offer, uh, offer burnt offerings and make sacrifices of peace offerings. Seven days you will wait until I come to you and show you what you shall do. So the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, he's telling Saul, the Holy Spirit will show you what to do. He will guide you. And so it was when he had turned his back to go from Samuel that God gave him another heart what the Holy Spirit does, gives us a new heart. And when they came there to the hill, there was a group of prophets to meet him, and the spirit, then the Spirit of God came upon him, and he prophesied among them. So what does prophesied mean? Not just that he knew what God wanted him to do, and not just that he was saying what God wanted him to say, but that he was ecstatic because he knew that God was in him. But I want to show you one place that I want you not to turn over a couple of pages to 16, 1 Samuel 16, it's on page 329. 
in verse 14, it says, But the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and a distressing spirit from God troubled him. So God's Spirit has come upon Saul to make him king over his people and to lead him and to guide him and to show him what to do and what he needs to say and to make him he'll have a new heart but you always have a choice and Saul in this chapter before this if you want a good place to read read chapter 15 in first Samuel Saul disobeys and then he lies about it and he finds himself deeper and deeper into rebellion against God he didn't hold on to what God had told him to do and so he justified where his sin was and in this place he lied and he justified and it got darker and darker until it says the spirit of the Lord departed from him and so people tell me all the time that the spirit of God once you're saved, you're always saved because the Spirit of God is in you. And my very point is, no, no, no. The Old Testament helps us to define what, the, what our terms are. And it's very clear, the Spirit of the Lord can leave by our choices, by our rebellion, by our sinful nature, by... It, you know, it says nothing can separate you, and it lists all these things that, are, that cannot separate you, but it never lists sin. Sin separates us from God. Okay, I, I know we're running late on time, so I want to give you a couple of places, and you can look these up this week if you, um, if you choose. It's in, so the next one is Daniel 4, verses 8 through 9. It's on page 1023. And what it shows right here is that the Spirit came upon Daniel to walk in wisdom and knowledge that was beyond his ability. To walk in wisdom and knowledge beyond his human abilities. And then Elijah um, is First Kings, starting in chapter 17 on page 422, and wow, if you want to just read the rest of Elijah, you will see all kinds of places where the Spirit of God is moving on Elijah, God's prophet. And he's doing signs and wonders, and the Spirit is guiding him. And um, in prophesying, he's, um, it, it, he raises someone from the dead. He... Uh, um, the flour and the oil never run out of the widow's house. So it is a great place to read, to see the Spirit of God working. And then the last one um, is in Ezekiel 37 on page 1001. And the prophet Ezekiel is speaking God's words. And so we see, you see this also in um, Elijah as well. The last scriptures that I want to leave you with, these are just some of the places you can find many more places of where the Spirit comes upon God's people and how it plays out and what they were expecting, yet not expecting, but expecting because they understood the ways of, of the Lord through the Old Testament.
The last scripture I want to give you is Mark 16. It's on page 1176. So if you'll turn there. Starting in verse 15, Jesus is um, giving his last speech to his disciples. And he says something that I think is so powerful and goes along with our understanding today. And he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And and we all line up that. We go, yeah, we should be telling everybody about Jesus. But he doesn't stop there. He says, he who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will follow those who believe. In my name they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will take up serpents, and if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay their hands on the sick, and they will recover. So then, after the Lord had spoken to them, they, he was received up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. And they went out and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word through the accompanying of signs. The Holy Spirit goes with us to accompany us to do God's purpose to be his witness to all the world. But signs and wonders will follow. The things that we've talked about today, all of them are signs and wonders. All of them are places where you can see the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit should be shining off of each one of us that every time you meet someone, they don't see you, they see the Holy Spirit. So I pray that um, you've gleaned some things from this today, but I pray that you'll go back and study some of these places this week. And I pray that you will cry out to the Lord in prayers and supplication, begging him to bring the power of the Spirit that you could be changed, that you would no longer live as you want to live, but you would live only as he directs you to live and that he would use you powerfully as a witness to many. If we can pray with you in the back, we would be um, honored to share in your walk. And uh, I pray that um, God moves in your heart today. Stand with me.
find my dryad, broken places, thirsty for your
Your spirit. 